Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy, co-founder of KidsViews.com, and I am here in the New York studio today with Amy Oztan of SelfishMom.com. Hello. Hi, Amy. Andrea Smith technology guru extraordinaire. Hello. Hi, Andrea. And today we have a special guest in the studio with us, Michelle Chula Lipkin, who, full disclosure, is also a friend. (laughs) I don't know why I have to disclose that, but I feel like I do. Um, Michelle is the executive director of Namely, which is the National Association for Media Literacy Education, which is a mouthful, so we're going to call it Namely the whole time. (laughs) We're going to cover two topics today, and you're going to see why Michelle is such a special guest in a second. Our first topic is Paris. Uh, We felt like it was important to talk about that today. We had so many parents talking about it on Facebook over the weekend, asking, how do I talk to my kids about this? What should I talk to my kids about this? Michelle wrote an incredibly insightful personal article this weekend, so I asked her to be on, and we're going to talk about that in topic one and how you can talk to your children about Paris and beyond. Um, Topic two, we're keeping Michelle here with us to talk about digital literacy. She's stuck in the studio. She is stuck in the studio <laughs> with us all hour. Um, and what digital literacy means, because I think it gets mucked up with digital citizenship and these ideas. So we're going to talk about what that really means and what it's meant for decades. Um, and then we will have our Bites of the Week, which everyone was furiously looking up right before we came on. <laughs> oh, I had mine. That oh. pretty much guarantees one of you is going to try to steal it. That's why I'm going to go first. <laughs> okay. Always. Um, So let's jump in with topic one. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for being here. (laughs) It's nice to see you in a studio. (laughs) I know, out of the neighborhood. I should say Michelle and I met because we were both co-presidents of basically the largest elementary schools on the Upper West Side at the same time. Of the PTA? Of the PTA. Different Uh, schools, but neighboring schools. Neighboring schools with the same issues of wait lists and angry parents and crazy (laughs) fundraising. And we were in the same New York Times article about million dollar PTAs, much to our chagrin. Um, So Michelle and I have known each other for quite a while, always under this sort of, I would say, like an advocacy banner, which is interesting. In different Um, ways, but all the the same. And we have kids the same age, so it's all wrapped up together. And her son is a Kids View star. <laughs> I wrapped it in. Wait, well, isn't he supposed to be anonymous? Um, no, he's not because he was oh, a Tony a, reporter. Oh, he's the Tony. He interviewed Neil Patrick Harris. Gotcha. So he is not anonymous. And that's on his resume. <laughs> it should be. Wait, Neil he has Patrick a resume? Harris. He yes. does, you know, high okay. school applications. He's a superstar. Oh, okay. And Neil Patrick Harris loved him. <laughs> so, um, but no, we're here for a very different reason today. Mm-hmm. So, Michelle, um, I'm going to let you tell your story because I think obviously you can tell it best. And then we'll talk about the article you wrote about how to talk to your kids um, about Paris. Well, great. Thank you again for having me. It's nice to be here. And obviously this topic of how do we talk to our kids uh, about terrorism and things like the Paris attacks is a really important one. And essentially over the weekend, there was a lot of conversation, that that question, how do we talk to them um, about this? And so I come from a very personal point of view. Um, When I was 17, my father was killed aboard Pan Am 103 over Lockerbie, Scotland. That happened uh, December 21st, 1988. So pretty much my entire uh, adult life has, um, has 
revolved around this story in some way and what happened to my family, what happened to my dad, and what happened on the on the TV and in the news as the years went on. And so I've had a lot of unfortunate experience with, okay, what do we do? How do we react to the news? What is true? How do we, how do we process all of this? Um, and one of the things that I spent a lot of time thinking about was how do I talk to my kids about my father's death? And I really wanted to do it right because I didn't want them to be affected in a way that they didn't need to be affected, right? It's my loss, it's my tragedy. It doesn't necessarily have to be that way for them. And when my son, my son is 13 and my daughter is 11 now, so I'll just make sure that you guys have that context. But the first time the topic came up was when my son was about five. And he knew that my father wasn't alive, he knew that grandma was single, um, but he, we hadn't really talked about it. We talked about my dad, but we'd never really talked about how he died. So when he did first ask me how my dad died, I really, I, I kind of panicked. I was like, oh, uh, I don't know, like I, uh, you know what, let's talk about this when you're older. And I knew that that was not the right answer, <laughs> but I knew that the there were a lot worse wrong answers. So I was like, let me just see. And I immediately called their pediatrician and I said, can I just meet with someone? Like, can I just, you know, see how this should unfold in a healthy way. Um, You know, since this happened um, to me, I I have definitely struggled with anxiety. I have dealt with, you know, I was here on 9-11. We lived downtown. Uh, We were evacuated from our homes. We were, you know, we were in that also. So I've had unfortunate experiences with anxiety Mm -hmm. and with terrorism. So I really wanted to dive in with an expert point of view. And The advice um, that the psychologist gave me is advice that I still use today because because of the way my dad died, it's not something that starts and ends. Um, It's constant and it's constantly um, comes up and it comes up in the news and it comes up in our lives. And how do I make sure that I'm consistently giving my kids the information without making them afraid, mm-hmm. um, which is is always that that challenge. How do I allow my kids to understand that bad things can happen, but that doesn't mean the world is an unsafe place? And those are very different conversations to have with kids. And I've always focused on, yes, sometimes bad things happen, but far more good things happen. And let's talk about that. Um, I don't know if you want to dive into like actual tips yet or whether we want to talk a little bit more in general. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because um, our kids who are 13 were basically born in the shadow of 9-11, literally and figuratively. Um, And I think that's been a big part of for New York kids in particular and probably D.C. kids as they've grown up knowing that that happened. Um, Certainly for all the children that were left um, without a parent from those flights. And so it feels like it was more present in our consciousness I think um, your dad's flight almost began this whole really part of our, our world where airplane travel became unsafe right that was the first time that like they didn't look at bags before that they didn't you know and each time some new precautions have been put in place but we've seen something else happen right that's around whatever the next thing is they put in place for me that's been one of the scariest things to talk to with my kids because 
you, the world can't be totally safe, right? There's always a way for, and not even terrorists, right? Just crazy people. Like we look at Newtown. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, we talked about this the other day that most people didn't keep their kids home from school the next day. But I know this weekend we had an event in the city and we heard from so many people who lived in the suburbs who wouldn't come in. They mm-hmm. wouldn't come into the city. And, you know, in some ways it's probably the safest time to come to the city. Absolutely the safest time. Was, I have to go to D.C. Yeah. tonight and my son was concerned about it. I'm like, that city has never been safer. Yeah. Right. This and is it. the thing yeah. is, as, as my daughter, my daughter's 11, and as we were heading into the city on Sunday um, to, to attend your event, um, I couldn't tell her, I, I couldn't assure her that she was safe. She lives in New York City. She goes on the subway. She goes to major landmarks. I, I can't lie to her and say, I guarantee you that you are safe. And I, I totally fumbled the conversation. Mm. Well, I think what's important, though, is that nobody can guarantee safety. It doesn't matter if you live in New York City. It doesn't matter if you live in a small town in Iowa. Like, that is uh, a futile effort if, as parents, what we want to do is guarantee our kids safety. I think guaranteeing them safety and making them believe that they are safe are actually two different things. And there's a way to focus on the things that are in place to keep us safe that um, can focus the conversation in a different way. I think that it is really hard because you don't want to lie, right? Like you don't want to lie. And, but the truth is that uh, there are a lot of things in place in New York City to keep our kids safe. And maybe that's all they need to know. I mean, what I think we always have to ask ourselves as parents, what is the purpose of this conversation with our child? Like, what is the value of giving them too much information or just enough information? But I think for young kids, they we need to, to ha- find words that we're comfortable with that they can go to sleep at night and feel safe. And the truth is, I mean, this is, we can probably talk about this the next segment, but one of my most frustrating things is that, you know, we're so consumed with media and we're so saturated with news and so much of the news is uh, exaggerated. And so much is the, the news focuses on all the bad in the world. And if you watch the news, you're going to think the world is an awful, awful place. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, is like I said, awful things happen, but most times awful things don't. And you know, my dad was killed in a plane um, bombing, right? So, but the fact of the matter is planes are still the safest way to travel, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to weigh those two things. Planes are still the safest way to travel. And so, you know, your daughter, if you think about it, your daughter is more at risk in the car coming into New York City than she is in New York City. Now, you don't need to tell her that, and you probably (laughs) wouldn't. So why do we always feel the need to talk to our kids about these enormous, like, worst-case scenarios? And I think we live, you know, we live in a worst-case scenario society, right? We're constantly... I mean, you turn on the news and it's like 17 things that could kill your child today in your apartment. You know, like this is the news that we're consuming. And so I think you have to be really sensitive to the messages our kids are getting and making sure that they're getting a balanced view of the world. I'm not saying lying, you know, but giving them balance so that they don't go to bed at night afraid. Uh, it's just, it's interesting to me, so many things that you say. So first of all, um, I was at Syracuse University oh, in the overseas wow. program, five years, 
before, prior to wow. the to the uh, Pan Am 103 bombing. And, you know, so all those kids who were coming home from Syracuse, and the vast majority of them were uh, college students um, doing a semester abroad, you know, I, I knew and I was very familiar with the wow. program. And for me, Pan Am 103 was also my first really big news story at ABC News. I mean, I remember it happening, and I was there for like two days, you know, covering it as a journalist and, and getting everything on the air. So I think about that a lot, actually, as the first real you know, aviation terrorism. And I had this conversation with my son, who's 25 now. Now, I grew up here in Manhattan, and I have a sense that what you're used to kind of helps with this. I mean, I've just grown up in Manhattan. There's always been police roadblocks and barriers and a little right, threat and of people. something. And crazy people <laughs> on the subway or on the street or talking to you. And there's always kind of like that thing in my head that, you know, for me as a parent in the suburbs now, I think I can do everything I can to protect my child, make sure he's driving safely and not drinking, but I can't protect him from another drunk driver. Right. You know, that's how I view it. I, you can do what you can do. Um, it never occurred to me not to come into the city this weekend, yeah. but I can understand a lot of people in the suburbs who already kind of are nervous about the getting city. on the train, getting into the city, everything that it that it means. I could see kind of thinking, I'm just going to sit this one out. Well, I think what's what's really important, though, I mean, and this is getting very deep, so I apologize for that. Um, that's what the terrorists want. Right, exactly. Yeah, right. They so want they win us if to you be do afraid. That. Exactly. So I've had to deal with that my whole life. So we, you know, they succeeded in taking my dad's life, right? So the question is, are they going to succeed in taking mine right, too? Right. And that is a tough question. And there have been, you know, after 9-11, I did not get on a plane for 11 years. They got me. I mean, 9-11, when I was down there and I, mm-hmm. I heard it and saw it and I ran from it, I thought they were coming for me. Like, that's how personal it felt because we had gone through this mm-hmm. already. And then at some point you just, you know, I think when my kids – started to notice the limitations I was putting on their life because of my fear, it was really clear to me that something had to be different. And that thought of, you know, I can't give the terrorists my life, and I sure as heck am not going to give them my kids' lives. Like, the greatest gift that we can give our kids is to live a with a, a with less fear, yep. you know? and. And that's like a conversation for media literacy that we can talk about, but just this culture of fear, you know, I think a lot about that concerns me more than the actual violence because we are living in constant fear, which is exactly allowing these evil, few evil people in the world to win. And so I deal with that all the time. And I I think to myself, you know what? They got my dad. They can't have mm-hmm. me. You and know? that has to be such a struggle for you. Oh, you know, I mean, to I have a wonderful therapist. <laughs> a wonderful therapist. I will put a link. No. Yeah, she's the best thing. Like, I, it's the longest relationship besides my husband. She's awesome. <laughs> like, and you really do need, I mean, these are complicated yeah, issues. Right. So you really I need to talk about it. One of the things it. you said that I really loved in the piece you wrote was don't offer more information to your child than they're asking for. Like, I, when you wrote that, I, I also thought of the sex talk. I was like, that's. Yes. That's totally. exactly the same yeah. thing with the sex talk. Right. You don't need to start yeah. going into like, yeah, it doesn't need to be porn all right. of a sudden. Right. <laughs> like, just what they're ready just to explain. Yeah. So should we go over know. some of the, the tips and things that people can, For sex can do? For yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That you need a different expert. <laughs> yeah, let's go quickly. Let's like yeah. go through so, some of the great So I think that point about only answering the questions your kids ask, and that was my biggest fear. Like I 
I was ready to go into like the history of terrorism when my five-year-old asked me, and he didn't have any desire to know that. He just was curious, right? Um, being uh, uh, really straightforward is also, cape the emotion out of it, be factual. And then focus on the afterwards. That's really, I mean, Mr. Rogers said, yeah. always look for the helpers. And that is the truth. And we, our personal example, the relationships we have with the people in Scotland, the love that they showed our family, that's what I focus on. Um, and remember, like, this is not their tragedy. I mean, my, there were times where I'm like, God, they're not even, they don't even care. Like, they have no emotion about these things. And it's just, you know, you have to step back and be like, oh, like, they just see the world differently. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, they're not feeling it the way that we're feeling. And that's okay. You know, they will process it. And I've seen my son and daughter process my dad's death, death over the years. Um, and then really, um, it's really like, the bottom line is turn off the TV. Like, our kids do not need to hear and see this. They don't need to hear and see this, yeah. especially with the 24-hour news network where the same images and the same stories, same videos being repetition. Over and, over. and it's like you heard a lot about that with 9-11 is that kids kept thinking different planes were going into different buildings mm -hmm. and they didn't understand that we were repeating the same images over yeah. and over mm -hmm. again. Um, and, you know, it's there's something about the sound of it, the, you know, the way that the newscasters talk. Like, there's so much drama and... Um, kind of uh, storytelling in it. If they want to know, talk to them about it, read an article with them. Like there's a way for them to get informed without being inundated by the images and the sounds. Um, and then social media, obviously if your kids are on social media, they're they're looking at stuff. Yeah. And so you really just, you have to sit with them and you gotta go through it and focus on the, you know, again, the facts like, oh, this is interesting. This comes from a site I've never heard from, you know, or this, I would say that this is probably a little bit more of a credible source because, you know, and have these conversations with them. Um, and, and I think you also have the right to not tell them too much stuff, you know, especially if they're real young, if it is going to come up with sc at school that you just need to prepare them to ask you questions and talk to them and then remind them, it's so important just to remind them that they are safe and that the great majority of people are good and, um, and, and that's the reality. We would never sit down with our child and say, okay, I just want you to know the odds of me dying today in a car crash or this are the odds of mom getting breast cancer like you don't have those conversations so <laughs> right. why are we talking to our kids in such detail about this threat of terrorism like I think that we have to balance it again don't lie be truthful but don't give them more information than they're asking for on that note we're going to take a break and we'll be right back and we're going to talk about media literacy and what that means <laughs> and how you can help your kids think critically about everything they're seeing be right back. Talking tech, apps, entertainment, and issues around parenting the digital generation. This is Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. So we are now back, um, and we're going to tackle topic two with Michelle's other hat on. <laughs> Her executive director of Namely Hat. Um, which is really interesting because Namely, so a lot of people know about Common Sense and the ratings and stuff, but Namely has been around for a really long time because it's not just about the internet and social media. It's really about media. Mm -hmm. And starting with this idea of what are kids watching, because TV was the dominant media that they were consuming, but also print and news and this idea of 
you know, media is such an integral part of our lives now, and it has been since, was it the 80s when Namely was started? Or we started, or like, 90s is when it started like to kind pick of, up. yeah. And right. they were really were very forward-thinking in the founders of the organization because they were like, well, there's a, we're consuming a lot of stuff here. <laughs> What's going on, and how is this going to impact us in the long term, you know? And I think for kids, right, there was the idea that there was, like, Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street and not much else. Um, until cable came along and all of a sudden there was Disney and there was Nick um, and all of this more concrete um, programming aimed at kids. But the flip side of that was there was CNN and 24-hour news cycles and porn and like all sorts of media that was all of a sudden way more accessible than it ever was. Um, and it's sort of, in some ways I think the internet has hijack the conversation a little bit because when you look at these studies kids are still watching a lot of tv they're not really reading magazines and newspapers so much anymore but they're consuming an incredible amount of tv and particularly news and then the internet just opens up all these other sources so i think there used to be a feeling that your major networks were very credible you could watch peter jennings you could watch walter cronkite you they were they were honest they were right and now your kids are looking at stuff on reddit and BuzzFeed and God knows where else, like some right. random where are they forums. getting their information? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that the the concept of media literacy does originate in a time where the relationship that we had with media was completely consuming. Like we were consumers and that we were passive. And now obviously with the advent of the internet and social media, we're much more active participants in the media. Um, and that changes things a little because you also want to then, you're not only talking about critical thinking, you're also talking about like how do we effectively communicate using media? How do we actively participate in our society using media? And so it becomes like kind of a, you know, there's, there's more than one head that we have to deal with. Um, you know, the concept of media literacy is a really simple expansion of traditional literacy. So we're no longer, um, you know, the foundation of reading and writing text is obviously vital. Um, but then how do we teach our kids to consume an author using all forms of media? And how are we getting them to think about what they're choosing to watch, what they're choosing to share, all of these things, and to be really active in their um, media consumption and creation. Mm -hmm. um, and so we work a lot with educators and, and the goal is really like, how do we get this into schools? Like how do we train teachers to use media in the classroom? Like we're not just talking about, you know, putting tablets in classrooms. Like, no, you need to understand like what the technology does, the power that it has, how are we communicating it? How are we using this tool? How are we talking about it? And, you know, really, again, it's like critically thinking, effectively communicating, and actively participating. And that's what we need, at all like learners of all ages. You right. know, I'm not just talking about kids in elementary school or middle school or high school. I'm also talking about people like my mom and her friends. You know, like how are we critically thinking? And I think the news and, and given just what we were talking about before, the idea is, you know, we have to learn how to be analyzers of news. We have to understand what is credible, what is truth, what is fact, what is opinion, what is political um, rhetoric. We have to understand that. Um, we have to figure out a way to sift through all the noise and to teach our kids how to do that. Right. And that's hard because it's so not hard. something that's taught in school so much. You know, a lot of teachers are sort of just taking this technology at face value, um, kind of figuring out what to do on their own. A lot of times it's just gaming apps or random apps that were recommended by another teacher. They're not thinking about how this technology really 
can enhance the classroom experience or how kids are normally using it. So how do we relate to kids on what they're doing anyway um, and not just have it be either just an open like research thing where they're showing them like one YouTube video based on something right? or, you know, just or a reward system where they get to be on the iPad doing something. But I think to your point, I mean, I think it would be really helpful if educators could teach kids to have a healthy dose of skepticism, you know, Mm -hmm. and to not accept everything at face value. I mean, you know, again, my son grew up with two journalist parents, you know, so he never wanted to hear the news because all we did was come on. (laughs) I was at ABC. My husband was at CBS. And it was like, you know, we did it this way. We we covered it this way. And he hated news. And now at his age, he's like addicted to Reddit. As soon as the Paris bombing happened. Yeah, right to Reddit. He was right on Reddit, you know, and I kept trying to say to him, so you know that half the stuff on there is wrong. Like, you know that, 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 that half of that has not been checked and he's going on about why it's so much faster and I say because yeah, networks are checking sources and confirming and getting two sources <laughs> and making sure it's I mean look at the whole Twitter thing that Professor Jeff Jarvis parody account did you guys see that where no. the guy, it's a parody account and a guy did a well, just wanted to see what would happen and he put up a picture of the Eiffel Tower with no lights on which happens every night at 1am and wrote oh my god they turned off the lights on the Eiffel Tower for the first time since 1898 right. as if there was electricity you know right. running through two world wars <laughs> and um, every I mean it was retweeted a gazillion times oh my god. major news organizations were right. talking about this and it's if someone had just looked they would find out that happens it every becomes night. fact. That's so just mean right. of him to do. <laughs> but such but a look great what it test shows. Days. No, it is yeah. true. And so to teach kids, even tr- I'm trying to teach my own son at, at 25. Right. Well, they skeptical. just had that photoshopped picture, right, of the Sikh man. Yeah. Who just had that picture of himself you know, holding up a tablet. You know, just a normal dude. A, yeah, he just took a yeah. selfie in the mirror yeah. and someone photoshopped yeah. a suicide vest on him. A suicide yep. bomber vest, yep. and, and then that look into what happened after the Boston Marathon. You right. know where they were oh, going that. after a guy. I mean, so I think That's that that too. we all really need <laughs> yeah. to look at something with a hmm, really? I think that the word skeptical, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's really what we're talking about too. And we're not talking about cynicism. We're talking about skepticism. Mm-hmm. Like we're right. talking about taking that pause and saying, I don't know about this. This doesn't feel right. And if we can teach our students and our kids to do that before they just automatically share, mm-hmm. um, I think that, you know, that's a great skill, like that pause, that pause moment before it's like, do I want to share this? Yeah. Do I know Is it's this true? Right? Is this right? Yeah. Um, I think what what's a little dangerous, though, is that that story, unfortunately, people won't remember, all people won't remember that it wasn't real. Right. <laughs> it becomes real because yeah. now it's on the internet. Real. Yeah. I mean, you hear that, and that, to me, you know, when I think about what do we demand as citizens, like, what do we want? You know, I think certainly, you know, you need to go to your administrators and you need to go to your school leaders and your teachers and say, what kind of media literacy are you doing in the school? Just like you want to talk to them about what digital citizenship they're doing at the school. How are your teachers getting trained on technology? Those kind of questions. But I think we also need to demand more from the news media. Like we have to demand more from them. We have to demand a more balanced view of the world. We we have to um, do whatever we can to eliminate some of this fear-mongering that goes on and 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 false fear-mongering and speculation and mm-hmm. and it's just it's so dangerous because you so often remember the first thing you hear yep. and so often the first thing you hear isn't true 
And that is really not that's really dangerous, right? Well, and especially with um, websites today, like Absolutely. a lot of the media properties today online, um, you know, it's not get it right, it's get it first, because you want to have the most clicks. So a lot of companies um, teach their writers and editors, post the story immediately, and if we need to make changes, we will. Mm-hmm. And that's just so antithetical to what we should be doing. It should be stop take a beat is it true are we being credible right. are we being thoughtful and then post but it. i think what happens with the news organizations now is they feel like they're so behind what's already going on in social media exactly so you, have, you know it's yep. interesting because we all know that eyewitness testimony is like the worst possible testimony mm-hmm. right like it's been proven over and over and now you have millions of eyewitnesses basically saying what they saw mm-hmm. immediately or making things up and no one can vet it because it's just your individual twitter account right. it's your individual and i think what happens with the news organizations is they start to feel less and less relevant so they panic and then they just start pulling from social also right. well and cnn was down. literally reading tweets was right. literally reading tweets yeah. on tv i mean that's bizarre yeah like, but i think what my we grandmother can do, could do though that. is like it really you know of course i run an education uh, organization but it really does come down to then the education right the mm-hmm. being making sure that our kids understand the process in mm-hmm. which the the news gets to my phone, gets to my mm-hmm. TV, gets to my computer, like understanding that process. And and I I think that that is so important, you know, and for them to understand that, you know, that need for news news organizations to get the story first is, is the downside because then they usually get it wrong and mm-hmm. to have those conversations. And I think we really should be having them in schools. We should be having them in social studies classes and totally. current event classes mm-hmm. and humanities classes and, and look at the way news has evolved and journalism has evolved. Like all of this stuff is, they really need to be armed with this information so that they can make educated choices. And and, and I think the sharing is where it gets, you know, we're just so fast. Things happen so fast that we have to figure out a way to teach our kids to pause a little. I think that's a, it's a really interesting part of this conversation is that the conversation about technology in schools has really focused on cyberbullying oh, yeah. and like sexting and all this fear. Things it's we've talked worst about. Case scenario. It's always worst case scenario and fear. And those are the stories the media loves. They, I mean, every time there's a sexting story, I get three thousand reporters <laughs> calling me, and I'm like, I don't want to come on and talk about that. Like, it's not interesting to me. And I don't. You don't need another talking head talking about it. But it is so fascinating to me that this part of the conversation, this like skepticism of what you're seeing, this critical thinking of what you're seeing, is completely left out of the conversation when it comes to technical and technology conversation. You you know, it's funny because I think that the satirical news shows have done more than anything that I could do to shape the way my kids, especially my son, see the news because he's grown up on The Daily Show and The Colbert Report and Last Week Tonight and and Larry Wilmore's show. And it's definitely given him like when we do sit down and watch the regular news he's watching it differently than I did and I kind of love Mm. that I love that I love that how old is he he's 14 I love that he watches those shows because I do think it gives perspective I think that that idea also and I think it has to me it has never been so clear than with this uh, presidential election beginning is just that line between entertainment and news is such um, a line that we have crossed like beyond belief mm-hmm. um, with uh, certainly the Republican um, 
candidates. Well, yeah, I mean, if the re- if these quote unquote real news shows have crossed over into entertainment, then it was just inevitable that the satirical shows were going to become where we got our news from. I and love that. that that's, that's a great that soundbite. Use that. <laughs> that was awesome. It's, it's so, so true. It's so true. It's so true. And I think that we just have to. I, I, your point, Rebecca, too. It's like welcome to my world. Like how frustrating is it that we're not having more conversations about media literacy? But the truth is, is that there is kind of this groundswell. Like there is more people realizing like, wait a minute, we need to be having different conversations. Now we should have all those conversations, but we also need to include the overarching issues of, you know, where are our kids getting the messages that are, that are being instilled in their heads, you know, and the messages are coming from the media, right? The messages, who they are, what they think, that's coming from the media. So how are we helping them learn how to kind of decipher it and and sift through all of it? And right. And the answer so isn't valuable. just saying to them, you can't use Wikipedia. Oh, like, absolutely Because that's what schools not. do. They just right. say, well, you can't yeah. use Wikipedia. Well, that's not Even though it's actually all. been proven in uh, several Wikipedia studies can be to be awesome. very reliable. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. It's like, why is that better than Encyclopedia Britannica? Yeah. Like, you have this. I these, just went through this with you, Fiona right. last week. Or they'll shut down YouTube. Like, there's just these very sledgehammer attacks on this meet on media in the schools because they don't want to deal with this complex conversation. I do. I think you're right, though, about like bringing up. I talk to parents a lot about social media and, you know, they their focus is always the worst case scenario. I'm so you know, it's like we hear about the suicides. We hear about these horrible sexing scandals like we do hear about that stuff. But that is like one grain of sand on the beach of like social media. And not that we shouldn't be aware of those things, but if it, like think about what we do to teach our kids in New York City to walk to school by themselves. Like we have a process in which we start them, you know, we follow them, we make them text us mm-hmm. before they leave. Like, but we don't sit at home every single morning now that they're walking by themselves and worry that. Oh, I totally do. I totally follow them the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> on my phone. Everyone, <laughs> everyone but Rebecca. Rebecca. Okay, besides Rebecca, we don't down. we don't follow our kids with the drone and. And if oh, we a drone. did, that would be excellent. If we did, we would never get out of bed. You know what I mean? Like we No, you gotta let it go. You gotta at some point, so it's like but you do it in a way that you feel like you've given them the skills to go right. off to walk to school by themselves. Right. Otherwise your kid's a moron. Like yeah. let's be let's face it, you're so sending them out in the world so unprepared. We need to like and then when these things happen, you know, people are surprised. And you're like, but we didn't teach them how to use it. We didn't teach them right. how to talk about it. We didn't teach them how to think about it. What did you think was going to happen? Well, and I also think the problem is adults are sharing all that stuff, too. Yeah. So it's not like kids are the ones sharing that Eiffel pic- Tower mm-hmm. picture. And oh, yeah. it's not like kids mm-hmm. are sharing those yeah. Photoshop grown-ups pictures. Are. It's the grown-ups. Yeah. I mean, think about when Obama the won. The amount of Photoshop pictures of Obama in, like, horrendous, mm-hmm. crazy situations of, like, shaking hands of, like, basically, like, Stalin, right? Yeah. Like, Stalin is dead. <laughs> this couldn't have happened. But, like, how many old people were sharing, like, pictures like that of pretending that that happened? And I think about that, that there's so much irresponsible behavior or so much acceptance of what the media is throwing at you automatically by adults um, that it's hard to expect more from our kids. Well, and it's hard especially to have those conversations. if you don't teach them. Yeah, and it's hard to have conversations with a lot of those adults because yeah. they're like, what do you mean? I'm looking at the picture. And you're right. like, it's Photoshop. It's on the internet. <laughs> it must be real. Right. Well, I, I, I got think an my, email. my all-time favorite um, picture that goes around the internet is that quote attributed to Abraham oh, Lincoln. Oh, that's the best. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all the quotes are my... That, <laughs> I quote, love that one. The, I love that one. The quotes on the internet are my pet peeve, actually. Yeah. They're, Except I, that one. At least 
twice a day I see wrong quotes. Um, I think people think if you say like Thomas Jefferson at the end or right. Albert Einstein, he said everything. Yeah. Well, John Oliver <laughs> talked about I'm it still last week. I'm not even week. sure why people right. feel the need uh, to just post quotes. But John <laughs> Oliver talked about it last week. He talked about a quote that's been going around about airplane travel that's been attributed to him so many right, times. About the he's, shoe he's starting to wonder if he actually said it. <laughs> I know. I love. Oh God, I love him. But I think that that. Yeah, I think that you bring up really, really good points. And we're just doing our kids a disservice if we don't have these conversations. And I think there is a movement, especially with technology. I think there's been a lot of technology bought in schools around, certainly around this country over the last decade that it... that's not being used. Yeah. And and if it's not and if it is being used, it's not being used to its potential. And I think people are starting to recognize that and starting to realize like you can't just put tablets in every kid's hands without talking about a broader education purpose, you yeah. know, and um and to me obviously media literacy is that is that we really need to train our teachers to talk about the media. We need, you know, my son came home yesterday and said that they talked about Paris in his global studies class and you know, I, she she did a pretty good job, but he went to bed scared last night, and I think that there was too much information shared and too much shown, and I think teachers need, you know, she did the best she could, right. but, like, well, how are we helping teachers learn and grow and and be trained on this stuff? Like, this is a major part of our students' lives. We need to give teachers the tools so that they can navigate some of this sticky yeah, stuff you know they definitely do yeah. i mean it's it's a, a bigger conversation yeah. i think as always but a good conversation that we had but a great conversation yeah. and you know what people should feel free to like ask their principals like are you going to be talking about those mm-hmm. things in school how have you talked about you like there shouldn't it? be one teacher on her own trying to now mm-hmm. deal with it because she's the one who teaching global studies like there shouldn't be a conversation like this may come up how are we all going to approach it like you teach this so you teach this but like how can we all teach this and those things don't happen enough in schools, probably, they don't. in general. Yeah, they don't. But I think it's, you know, because that's another conversation of what teachers are expected to do these days. Right. But I think this idea that, like, you have a right to ask and ha- start the conversation and, yeah. and see what's happening. And if it's not happening in your school, ask why and what you can do to help make it right. happen. You know, like, what support does the school need? What support does the teachers need? And, you know, it's not going anywhere. Our kids are are going are being brought up by media they're spending more time with media than they are at school than they are with their parents and we need to teach them how to do that you know we need to teach them how to live in this world yeah they're the next generation of voters so mm-hmm. it's important yeah <laughs> all right well now, now we will be right back with our bites of the week you're listening to parenting bites with rebecca levy we are back with our Bites of the Week. We Unfortunately, Michelle had to leave us for Bites of the Week. She had to, ironically enough, make it to parent-teacher conferences. Yes. So it's just the three of us. And we're starting with Amy because Amy decided <laughs> that she goes first. Yes, always. <laughs> um, I actually have two today, and they couldn't be more different from each other. Um, the first one, Lego has come up with a Lego slipper with extra reinforcement on the <laughs> bottom so that you can't get hurt by stepping on your kids' stepping Legos. Stepping on your Legos. Yeah. I love it. It's genius. <laughs> and the thing is, it's not really available. They made 1,500 of them by hand in France. Like it's a France. joke. <laughs> not as a joke. Like it's a promotion. Like if you enter this one thing by giving your wish list on a right. website, I think, then, then they're going to give them to random people who entered that. But... If it's really popular, 
who knows could become available so i think that we should all i don't know start you could a also just wear slippers no that, that's what no, that points out no these are so much better because they they look like lego bricks they're really cute um so that's that's my favorite i had thomas the tank engine slippers once nice <laughs> Those um, were my favorite. But all of my slippers, they always had very soft bottoms. They would have done nothing for Legos. Bristle bro- blocks. Bristle blocks are the worst thing to step on. Did your Br- kids have bristle blocks? No. They're like, um, they're plastic and every side are like little porcupines. Oh. So they snap into each other like like these Sounds little like interlocking. Yeah, that's what they are. They're, they're beautiful primary colored birds. Wow. Those are the worst. Okay. Next. So my, my <laughs> second one, um, polar opposite, uh, going back to the conversation that we had during the main part of the podcast, um, it, when these kinds of tragedies happen, I, I think some people react in a very contemplative, sorrowful way, and other people react in a very angry way. And I'm the second kind. And the way that I was feeling about what happened in Paris was put into words so well in John Oliver's opening for last week tonight this week. So if you haven't seen it, it's his profanity-laced reaction to Paris. Um, You know, they couldn't really do a segment on the show because they they take a week or more to do their segments, so he just had it in the opening. But um, go watch it. I'll link to it. Your kids might not want to be in the room. Both of my kids have seen it because the language train sailed in our... (laughs) Sailed? I don't know. What do trains do? Pulled out of the station. Um, Pulled out of the station. station. Thank you. (laughs) The language boat sailed a long time ago um, in our house, but it's really, really good. All right, Andrea. So I've been playing with a new gadget. Amy's going to really be jealous. Uh (laughs) I've been playing with the Microsoft Surface Pro 4. Shut up. I am so close to plunking down money for that. Got to tell (laughs) you It's so nice. So you know, we talk a lot. I talk a lot. About I, ha- I have the Surpa- Surface Pro Three. Oh, okay. So I'm I've got number envy now. Well, but see, I have the Surface Three, not the Pro. Mm. And my thing was always like, can this replace my laptop? As the holy grail. Right. And the answer for me right now is, yeah. Well, wow. my, my Pro yeah. 3 did replace my laptop. But it's as expensive as a laptop. It's, but you know yeah. what? Is It's as expensive as a laptop. It is. I think they started at $8.99. But, you know, and you can get a Core i3, i5, or i7 processor. I've got an processor, i7. Like, you know? it really did replace I don't know that I'd get an i7. I'm not editing video. I'm not doing graphics. But, you know, so that saves a little. But, I mean, so thin, so light, so powerful. Beautiful. And, of course, you know, it's one thing to say I can do all this on my iPad. But they don't run the Windows programs right. you need. You know, I can do Word docs. I can access my Dropbox. I can share yeah, my a file. Husband I can wants edit one so bad. it. I gotta tell you. And the other problem with the Surface Three is that the, the um, type cover that you have to buy separately with it, which still drives me crazy. They should just raise the price and include it. Because mm-hmm. uh, you really do need it. You have, yeah. you have to have it. Don't, and and don't guys, don't get it without it. You have to have it. Is crazy. Problem is, though, my Surface Three that doesn't come in purple. I mean, this is a problem for me, right? Oh, no. Hello. So here I am you wearing have to purple skin it. again. You have to go to skinit.com um, and yeah. buy a purple skin. <laughs> and pay more money. <laughs> so I think the Surface Pro 4 has an, an option for purple in the type cover. Oh, but they heard yes. Andrew. Yeah, they heard Please. me screaming. But I got to tell you, I mean, if you're looking for something thin, light, portable, powerful, Windows 10, the whole thing, I'm digging it. I think I for students, yeah. it's like a no-brainer. For students, it's great. I, and if you travel. And travel. You know? That's yeah. what my Since husband I, I already have the Pro 3, I'm seriously thinking of a Christmas present for myself. might be the, the Pro Book. 
Oh, that is sweet. I have not tested it, although I did see it in person. And I had like hinge envy, Mm -hmm. you know, and I do love the Lenovo yoga tab. I do too. I love Pro 3 Uh hinge, that that kind of Mm -hmm. um, um, watch band, that watch hinge. But yeah, the service book, that's up there too. But that's a lot more expensive. Yes. 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 That's like a real, yeah. 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 All right. So we'll link to this and all <laughs> the, the different colors. The wish list is building. I, I see it now. The holiday wish list so is building. So if anybody building. wants to get me a holiday present. That's that's on your list. Yeah. It's on my husband's list, too. And Amy's. Yep. And Amy's. There you go. Santa. <laughs> Santa, be nice. Or Hanukkah Harry, in this case, for, for Andrea and I. Yeah. Um, so my um, thing this week is actually they were a sponsor at our Kids Views event um, in our gift bag. So I'm hoping everyone saw it. But it's a company called Nowvel, N-O-W-V-E-L, like novel, but Nowvel. And it's actually the founder was the founder of Tiny Prince, the stationery company that was bought by Shutterfly that did those beautiful cards and all that stuff. So he has a lot of experience in printing. And they make these photo books that are unlike any other photo books because they're like board books. So they're 20-page board books, and they take your pictures, and they can take them from social, they can take them from Instagram, they can take them from Flickr. We had them all taken from Flickr. They are so great because they look like a real board book. Like they're small, they're long, they're like, I don't know, maybe they're seven inches long and only four inches wide. Um, But for kids, you can make a photo album of all your family pictures. Like I know this is my niece's favorite thing is to look at pictures of family. And you can add text, and then it's a board book. And they're not going to destroy they your pictures. They can't destroy it. And they you could throw it in the stroller. Nice. You could throw it up. They can't rip it. It makes a real little board book for them. So if you go to, it's N-O-W-V-E-L.com. Um, I think they're like 10 or 20 bucks. Like wow. they're cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, the quality is gorgeous. The pictures came out beautifully. Um, and I highly recommend it. I think it's such a great gift for kids. It's great for grandparents and all that stuff, too. But there's something about being the a kids, board kids book. Kids like to have pictures. That I remember my son Loved always wanted it. to have a picture of the family yep. with him. Yeah. And pictures and, of themselves. And they pictures of themselves. Yep. Yep. And you can put text. And you can do a little story. But there's something about it being a board book. We'll get one for Seth. Great. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I, I haven't looked in my gift bag yet. If that's in there, I'm going to order one. It's in that's there. Awesome. And there's a, well, there's there a, a code, code on the back for Ooh, one for free. Oh, can I, do you think I should share it on our podcast no no, <laughs> no but you can share I will one not, with me but i will share it later with them and i will actually email the company and if yeah. i'm allowed to and share a code we, we will put it on our facebook okay, page nice. for maybe a free one or 50 percent off or something like that but i would make one yes definitely make one i'm making them i'm, I'm totally making them for everybody for my daughter's bat mitzvah oh, i'm like making little nephews, yes so nieces awesome. and nephews it's so good um, so that's it for us today. You can go to facebook.com slash parenting bites. You will see links to everything we talked about today, including Namely and the link to Michelle's article, um, which is actually, I don't think I mentioned this, but it's on the blog dedicated to her dad. It's called Memories of Frank. So that's where she posted it. And then it was shared by like Common Sense and everybody. Um, follow us on Twitter, hashtag parenting bites. 
please find us on iTunes at Parenting Bites. Rate us, review us, subscribe. It helps us immensely. Um, And on Play.it, where you can find Parenting Bites and all the CBS podcasts. Until next week, we will be here next week in time for Thanksgiving. Yes, we will. And I I think we should talk about food. But (laughs) it's all the all things. Can we talk about like recipes, food gadgets? Yes, food gadgets, recipes. Oh, I know exactly what my bite of the week is All right, so stay tuned next week. It'll be the all food (laughs) podcast. Bye. Bye.